Welcome to the ninth episode of the Data Democratization Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Dobin, privacy expert and lawyer from Duality, a privacy-enhancing technology company that helps others collaborate through the use of homomorphic encryption and data science. I'm joined by my talented co-host, Alexandra Ebert, the chief trust officer at Mostly AI, the category-leading synthetic data company. And as you'll see in just a moment, this episode is a little different, but also a lot more special. Yes, Jeff, you're right. Today we have a premiere. Today, someone from Mostly AI will join you on the podcast. Paul Tewald is leading our amazing data science team. But not only that, Paul was also employee number one within the company who joined Mostly AI right after it was founded. Paul is originally a theoretical physicist with enormous scientific knowledge and data science experience. He was also the brains behind the idea of fair synthetic data. And this is what we will focus on today in the episode. I love this topic and remember Paul speaking as a guest at an earlier meetup uh, late last year, exactly on this topic of fair mm -hmm. synthetic data. And one of the topics that came up in that meetup, but also we're get, is getting a lot of attention right now in the media is around bias and ethical AI. And there's a lot of attention on this for a number of reasons, as we'll see in this episode. Um, personally, I can say Paul is one of my favorite mostlies. We go way back and I can't wait to see how this episode un unfolds. Alexandra and Paul, over to you. Hi, Paul. It's great to have you on the show today. You're the first mostly who joins me for the podcast. And today I would love to talk about ethical AI and also fair synthetic data with you. But before we jump into fairness, uh, can you share with me and the listeners how you ended up at Mostly AI? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Alexander, for, for having me on the podcast. Um, it's great. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to share my story, the story of, of ethical AI with all our listeners. How I came to Mostly AI, that's a pretty well, straightforward story, I would say, because I was working together with one of the founders, uh, Roland, together at a company. And uh, as soon as Mostly AI was founded, I switched over to Mostly together with Roland. So I was um, the first employee and it has been really a, a wonderful journey and, and great fun to see Mostly AI grow from yeah, starting out with four, so three founders uh, plus me and then now coming up to, I think, almost 40 people currently. Yeah. yeah, that's really impressive. And I think you even hold the record for the most consecutive months in a row of employee of the month. So, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. Right from that, the was, beginning. Um, that was not uh, too much of a challenge right, at that time. <laughs> but, but you're still doing great. So no worries about that. Um, one thing that I really enjoy about uh, being part of Mostly AI is that everybody within the team is just so passionate about our mission. Uh, can you share with the listeners what makes you most passionate about working for Mostly AI? Uh, sure. Well, that's, I would say it's a two, at least two motivations that drive me the most. On the one hand, there is obviously the privacy topic and the privacy reasoning, so to speak, because what we do makes uh, intrinsically sense for me. What, what we do taps the, the resource, the incredible research of data that you need in order to make data-driven decisions on the one hand, but on the other hand, we provide a tool or the means in order to do that in a privacy-preserving way. Because I, when I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm 
as many other people, so I have a mobile phone. And as such, I'm a customer of many apps um, and companies that produce those apps. And in the end, I, I would like to help them to, to offer me a better service and to, well, improve their product, essentially. And also derive, let's say, maybe findings from the data that I give them, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the one side. But on the other hand, I don't want my privacy to be, on the one hand, breached and exploited. And I, I want transparency. I want to know what I give to them and what they do with the data. And our product fits in there really nicely because it allows for tapping this, this incredible amount of information in a privacy-preserving way and offering transparency to, to customers, for example. That's one uh, way of, of viewing it. That's the one part. And, and the other part that also motivates me is the technology behind it. We use artificial intelligence, as our name implies, to create the synthetic data. And obviously the artificial intelligence field is growing and growing and uh, the progress is, is immense. And the community is, is very cool and very open. Just from the research perspective, it, it's uh, really fun to work in that. And, and the speed yeah. of the development is, is uh, really motivating. Yeah, I, I, I can just uh, second that. It's always amazing to me what you and the data science team are working on and all this progress that's made in that regard. So really cutting edge what you're doing there. And also what you described uh, as the first point, I think that's the current like zeitgeist of people really expecting great products, uh, personalized services, but on the other hand, also having this increased awareness about privacy and how important privacy protection actually is for them. And therefore, I also think that synthetic data is a great tool to really make both of these things possible in the economic world, but also, I think, from a research perspective. When we started out with Mostly AI, you mentioned it already, the main focus was privacy-preserving synthetic data and really having this tool here and bringing this to production that allows organizations to reconcile data innovation and privacy. But then fairness entered the game and you had, I think it was back then in Christmas vacation period 2019, the idea of fair synthetic data. How did you get this idea? And can you explain those listeners who have never heard FAIR synthetic data, what the concept is all about? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, yes, it, you're right. It was Christmas break, I think, 2019 or something. And how we came up with this idea was essentially uh, a book co-authored by Aaron Roth. And I mean, his name is very present in the, or the least very present in the privacy mm-hmm. domain. He co-authored also Cynthia Dwork, at least one paper on differential privacy. So that's where he is heavily involved in. And he co-authored the book, The Ethical Algorithm. And before this Christmas break, I, I, I saw that the, the announcement of the book, I think on Twitter, and I ordered it and I, I was reading it. And there, that was, I think, the first time I came into contact with the topic of fairness. So chapter one of the book literally is privacy. Chapter two is fairness. Mm-hmm. And then the thinking was, was immediately triggered. Okay, now that we have privacy, what, what about the other topics? And obviously there are more chapters in the book that we also might want to explore in the future. But yeah, fairness was kind of chapter number two. And we started discussions internally. If we could also not only create private, but also fair synthetic data. And the general idea behind it, we synthesize the data, which means we create them from scratch. 
and we create them with artificial intelligence. So it must be possible to form and shape the data to our needs mm-hmm. or to the needs of our customers. And when we do that, why not build in fairness into the algorithm in order to have not only private, but also fair synthetic data. Mm-hmm. And one important concept regarding privacy is that we solve the privacy issue at the root, right? Because mm-hmm. when you use older or, or classic anonymization techniques like masking, obfuscation, and so on and so forth, you have to do that throughout uh, the pipeline and you have to keep track of, of all the changes and all the points or all the people you share the data with, all the organizations you share the data with. And when you do synthetic data, you solve the problem at the root because there is this barrier between the original and the synthetic data. So there is no direct link between a -hmm. data subject in the original and synthetic data. That means once you have synthesized the data, there is no way that any original data will be changed or shared with any other party. That's what I mean by, by solving the issue at the root, right? So in any downstream task, you don't have to care about privacy. You can just take the synthetic data, train your machine learning model on it, and your machine learning model will be private by design because yeah. it only received private synthetic data. The ultimate goal for fairness was the same or is the same. Mm-hmm. We would like to solve this fairness issue at the root, which means you synthesize the data, it is private, it is fair, And in the downstream tasks, you do not have to take care about fairness because it's implicitly in there. Your machine learning model will be fair Mm -hmm. with respect, obviously, to the fairness definition that you apply during the algorithm. That's that's the concept behind it. And And the beauty behind it to have the possibility to shape and model the data in a way that that is needed. Yeah, I would say, since you mentioned modeling the data in a way like our customers need it, I would even put it one uh, step higher and say modeling the data in the way we would like to see our world and in a kind of more balanced and, and non-discriminatory way, because we all know that society and humans are biased to a certain extent. And that, of course, our old data sets reflect this uh, biases that we had in our society. So I think that's a super promising concept. For our listeners that haven't looked into the challenges of debiasing algorithms so far, what makes it so challenging to get bias out of an algorithm if you don't already do it at the root level, as you described, by inputting fair data? What's so challenging about that? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, let's, let's put it this way. It's, it's hard to detect and it can unfairness can, can easily come through the back door. Mm-hmm. You won't expect it, maybe. And there are blue-eyed solutions to it that just won't work. The best example is, is always when you say, okay, if uh, I want to make sure that we don't discriminate against people of a, of a certain ethnicity, for example, then we just drop the column ethnicity or the feature mm-hmm. ethnicity from our data set. Um, but unfortunately, that is not helping at all because... All the biases that, that is in the data are, are heavily interlinked with any other, potentially any other column that is in the data set. So being of a certain ethnicity increases the chance of you living in a certain area, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, then you have to drop ethnicity, you have to drop zip code, but the list goes on and it's essentially impossible to disentangle that. 
Yeah, I think there was also this paper or several papers uh, by now that showed that there are really these proxy variables that still could be used by an algorithm to, to introduce bias. And I think the recommendation there was to leave the sensitive attributes in there because it makes it at least easier to counteract and, and correct. Exactly, exactly. That is, that is the, general, the, the general notion that having this column in place actually gives you a handle. Mm-hmm. To, to mitigate unfairness and to, to de-bias data in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, mm-hmm. that's true. I would say that that's the biggest challenge because, uh, as you mentioned before, this is historic bias that is in the data, right? Our society is as it is with all its biases, unfortunately. And they are deeply rooted and they come through many vectors. And that's, I think that's the, the most tricky part. That's the reason why, why we need algorithmic fairness and proper fairness definitions to at least approach the problem, find solutions step by step, I would say. Yeah. Fairness definition maybe is another good keyword. What is actually fair and how can you define it in a mathematical way or why do you need to define it? Yeah, that that is a question that is really hard to answer because... um, (laughs) Nobody said it's going to be easy here in the podcast, Paul. That is true. That is true. In fact, there, there is no unique fairness definition that everyone agrees to. Mm-hmm. To put it bluntly, there is no one and only silver bullet fairness definition. That's the most pressing question, I think, in the in the fairness research currently. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of mathematical definitions that can be used and that can be integrated in, in algorithms. There are even some of them that contradict each other. So mm-hmm. if you have uh, fairness definition A and fairness definition B, it's you can mathematically prove that you cannot uh, fulfill both of them, for example. That is, you have uh, to that decide. Is, you, you have to decide, right? So mm-hmm. in the beginning, decision makers um, have to sit together and essentially for every individual problem, define or agree on a fairness definition that is appropriate for the use case and the problem they want to solve. There is this beautiful example of a two-year-old and a four-year-old fighting for six pieces of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the two-year-old would say, well, we share 50-50, three pieces each. But the four-year-old might say, well, I'm two times as old as you, so I would deserve four pieces while you only get two. I'm also bigger. My, my body yeah. is, let's say, twice as large. So, yeah, both both are valid, point valid, of valid points of view. The second and, one reminds me a little bit of my brother, who was always super hungry <laughs> and tried to get as much food as possible. Yeah, obviously a bit oversimplified, but it illustrates really nicely how different views change the definition of fairness and what is fair and, and how it should be implemented. Yeah, I think that's also a challenge that we have on a societal level because different cultures might have different definitions of of fairness. And so I think it's both a challenge for ethical and fair AI, but also a chance because it kind of forces us as a society to have this discussion on a detailed level as we might never had it before to really think about, okay, what outcome would we consider fair and what wouldn't be fair to then be able to implement it in the algorithm. Exactly right. You're absolutely right. Having this discussion might actually bring different cultures together in the end. I mean, okay, now that this is a very, very high level and ideological, I would say, but might take a long time. But yes, you're right. Sitting together, discussing those things, and then from a scientific point of view, putting this into the the language of maths is going to be an interesting and and nice challenge and nice to see what, what the outcome will be.
Absolutely, absolutely. I think we're all excited to see how this discussion will continue and of course also want to shape it and, and provide input. Um, when we published our fairness series back then on the blog, it was a few months after you started the research of fair synthetic data, uh, you showed that with our system you can pick a fairness definition and then create synthetic data that satisfies this fairness definition. And I think uh, the interest in fair synthetic data and its role for ethical AI can also be seen by all the re uh, magazines like Forbes and IEEE Spectrum, and I think even Andrew and G, and now recently uh, the AI conference, iClear, that picked up this topic uh, is growing and growing. But one question that we sometimes get from reporters, I think back then you worked with the US census data set and showed that you could create parity and, and an outcome where uh, I think the income from female data subjects is equal or nearly equal to the income of males. Why can't you just simply take a data set and give every female person in this data set, uh, I don't know, $20,000 raise per year to fix the problem? Why do you need this complicated process of fair synthetic data? As we mentioned before, the, the, the beauty in doing that is that we can synthesize the data and shape it the way we need it to. Well, when you, let's say, naively increase the fraction of female high earners, mm -hmm. then you destroy the quality of your synthetic data, right? You, you introduce, well, essentially you introduce new biases mm -hmm. because again, you cannot, or at least a human cannot have all other features um, or mo cannot monitor all the other features and actually estimate the impact mm -hmm. on all the other features that such a transformation would do. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you might introduce new biases and you definitely deteriorate the accuracy of your synthetic data that will harm and will also degrade the, the performance of machine learning models downstream. Mm -hmm. To give our listeners a practical example, so imagine I would give every female, a, I don't know, 20k raise per year, uh, but mm -hmm. not changing the type of car that they drive, their shopping behavior, how much they exactly. spend, and so on and so forth, just wouldn't make sense and therefore exactly, kind of exactly. destroy the utility of the data. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Also regional aspects, say people on the countryside typically earn, earn less and then suddenly there would be very, very high income mm -hmm. females living on the countryside. So that's Exactly. That's just not plausible. Exactly. So and when you do it in an algorithmic way, you make sure that, that you keep those balances and you keep those correlations intact while balancing the, the aspect of high earners between uh, males and females. Yeah, yeah. So you basically optimize for two things. One thing, as always, uh, with our technology, the superb accuracy, but also in this case, the fairness that is satisfied so that you have super useful but still uh, fair data. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And what, what you just mentioned is, is exactly what we do from, from an algorithmic approach. We, we train neural networks, generative neural networks, and one objective is obviously to have the, the highest accuracy possible mm -hmm. with the privacy uh, constraints built in there. But then we add a second objective, which is, is the fairness loss. Yeah. Exactly. And then both are optimized together in a joint way. Yeah, that's really a super interesting concept and we uh, see growing demand from the market, not only in the private sector, but also public sector, because there, of course, many public bodies are super interested in, on the one hand, sharing data that can be used by SMEs, by startups, but on the other hand, ensuring that their uh, perspective of fairness or the society's perspective of fairness is satisfied. So really looking forward to, to the adoption of this and, and how this is uh, will evolve. With all the talk about ethical AI nowadays, with the new proposed AI regulation, 
Commission on European level that also highlights and emphasizes how important it is to have fair and debiased data sets. Uh, do you have any like practical tips for businesses that want to move towards a more ethical AI and data strategy or any practical tips for data scientists, what they should do in the day-to-day -day practice to ensure that the algorithms they develop are more ethical? Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's also a pretty tough question. I think the most important step that can be currently taken is to be aware or to create awareness. Create awareness in, in, the, in the data science teams. Also be aware personally and, and uh, read about the topic. There are tools coming up that help you analyze your data, see if, if there are, let's say, biases in there. I mean, still a lot of manual work involved, but that, that you get a feeling. And as I said, uh, being aware and inform yourself, essentially, right? Yeah. The, the field is, is, is still pretty new and there is a lot of things going on and also a lot of change, obviously, involved. Yeah, that's... Uh, would be your number one think advice. That would, be, that would be my number one advice, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, be, I think being, uh, being aware. Yeah. That's a super important point, I think. And what I also find promising is all those organizations that have installed, like, for example, this ethical AI committees within the company that not only consists of data scientists, but people from different departments, plus they sometimes also include uh, other stakeholders, the customers and so on and so forth, and have them involved in the product development or algorithm development process right from the beginning. Because I think ethics is just such an important topic that not one single person should be responsible for it, but that it's super important to have a broad and diverse group of people engage in this discussion and be aware. Exactly, of exactly, exactly. That that is uh, uh, that might be a good number two here, um, <laughs> because it's it's similar to fairness, right? Uh, fairness as a sub subtopic of, of ethics. Say, mm -hmm. different people have different points of views, have have different experiences, and every input helps, and yeah. every let's say pair of eyes and ears helps to be aware and to be alert to contribute to 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 balance and, and catch unfairnesses biases in the data perfect yeah. yes i think uh very good uh, last words and i think we should definitely ask our listeners to educate themselves more about fairness start researching this topic more now after they've listened to this episode because the more people can join the discussion i think the better our chances as a society are to really use ai in a way that benefits us as humanity, but also uh, is fair according to definitions and understandings of the biggest possible group of people so that it's really a more inclusive discussion. I think this would be nice to see. Yeah, definitely. I just can <laughs> underwrite that. <laughs> Wonderful. Then thanks a lot, Paul, for your time. Looking forward to seeing this episode go live. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Goodbye, everyone. fascinating to catch a behind-the-scenes glimpse of the work that goes into creating fair synthetic data. And there is a lot to unpack here. So let's review the most important takeaways from today's conversation. Sure, Jeff, I'll start. So once our team at Mostly AI tackled the issue of privacy and we could synthesize privacy-preserving synthetic data that made training machine learning models private by design, we decided to create the same for fairness to make machine learning fair by design. Fair synthetic data can make machine learning models implicitly fair with respect to the fairness definition you apply to the algorithm. Yeah, and why is it challenging to eliminate bias? Well, 
removing features like ethnicity doesn't actually eliminate the bias. Due to the presence of proxy variables, algorithms can still become skewed. Plus, if you remove all sensitive attributes, it destroys data utility. It's similar with the challenge around privacy, right? Like, as you know, you could remove personally identifiable information from a data set, but that doesn't make it private. Non-direct identifiers are still there, and that's leaking privacy. Exactly, that's right. In fact, problematic features like gender and ethnicity should be kept in, according to latest fairness research. So they help in identifying and mitigating the bias of the entire data set. We need algorithmic fairness, and that brings up a very important question. How do you actually define fairness? Yeah, so as Paul mentioned earlier, there isn't one standard definition of fairness. It can mean different things to different people and different organizations. And that means that we need to define fairness for every specific problem and use case separately as they pop up. Exactly. Once you have a definition that works for that specific use case, you need to synthesize data to satisfy this fairness definition. The beauty of this approach is that it keeps correlations intact and removes bias simultaneously. So you have super useful data that is fair by design. In other words, you can synthesize your data to optimize both for accuracy and for fairness. But the first step of this process is to create awareness. And that's part of what we're doing right here with this podcast. So mm -hmm. whether you are a data scientist or a business decision maker, you need to be aware that bias can be introduced in your AI systems and that you have to proactively address it head on. You're right. Awareness is indeed one of the most important ingredients. Others are diversity and inclusion. It's important to have these discussions about fairness and AI ethics with a broader group of people from different backgrounds. One approach we see in practice, which looks quite promising, is organizations that install permanent ethical AI committees consisting of a diverse group of people. And these AI committee members are involved in digital product and algorithmic development projects right from the beginning. I really enjoyed this conversation you had with Paul. And I hope all of our listeners did too. I encourage you each to reach out to us with your opinions or your questions about fairness. This is a hot topic and something we're all passionate about talking about. Specifically, if you want to get any questions answered by Paul or the team, please send over a voice message to podcast at mostly.ai and we'll get you an answer from one of the best fairness folks on the planet. See you next time. See you. The Data Democratization Podcast was hosted by Alexander Ebert and Jeffrey Dobin. It's produced, edited and engineered by Agnes Fekete and sponsored by Mostly AI, the world's leading synthetic data company.